Thank you for joining us once again. We hope you're safe and well. During this episode, we have a conversation with Hannah Pierce, the Alcohol Policy and Research Coordinator at the Cancer Council of Western Australia, and also the current president of the West Australian branch of the Public Health Association of Australia. Hannah's work looks at how alcohol is marketed in Australia. This includes ads on billboards that you might see when you are driving, ads shown during sports broadcasts on television, or posts marketing alcohol that appear on social media. We discuss how alcohol marketing is regulated in Australia, who this marketing tends to impact the most in our society, and some of the areas where things could be improved. We also discuss an interesting report that Hannah's team at the Cancer Council recently produced that looked at how alcohol was being marketed on social media during the recent COVID-19 restrictions. Our chat with Hannah was both interesting and sobering, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Meaning of Health. I'm one of your hosts, Craig. And my name's Courtney. And we're very happy to welcome Hannah Pierce to the podcast today. Hi. So Hannah, just for the listeners, would you like to give them a bit of background about yourself and, and your current role and the work you do? Yeah, so my name is Hannah Pierce, and I'm currently an alcohol policy and research coordinator with the alcohol programs team at Cancer Council Western Australia. So the Alcohol Programs team is quite a new team um, at Cancer Council WA. We were established in February uh, following Cancer Council being awarded a contract with the Mental Health Commission to deliver services. So our team, what we do is really we work to stimulate and inform community discussion about alcohol issues. Um, with the aim of reducing the impacts of alcohol use on the WA community, um, including as a cause of cancer. So alcohol is a group one carcinogen, so that means that there's no doubt that it causes cancer. Um, it, alcohol use is associated with up to seven different types of cancer, and it's estimated that about 3,500 cancers in Australia each year due to alcohol use. So our, our role is about communicating the available evidence and the policies uh, that we know work to reduce harm from alcohol. Cool. And how did you um, decide to go into this particular area of, of public health? Why, why alcohol and cancer? Um, well, as far as alcohol policy goes, I, I actually just fell into that, to that position, which often probably often happens to people. Um, when I graduated uni, I was working at the Department of Health, the Chronic Disease Prevention Directorate um, for six six months. So I was in the chronic disease space, non-communicable diseases, um, looking at physical activity, nutrition, uh, tobacco, and I suppose alcohol falls into that category. Um, so after six months there, I was um, offered a position at what was the McCusker Centre for Action on Alcohol and Youth based at Curtin University. And I started there and just never left. So I spent <laughs> eight eight years um, at Curtin. Uh, we were the McCusker Centre for probably six of those years and then we became the alcohol programs team at the Public Health Advocacy Institute. And um, our team um, is the same as it is now at Cancer Council WA. So my colleagues and I have just moved to Cancer Council uh, and... It's just, it's a fascinating area to work in. Um, 
yeah, I've just stayed there. I don't know why. (laughs) Mm. It's an interesting area to work in in Australia in particular because alcohol is so widespread and kind of uh, embedded in our culture, social culture, etc. So it's obviously, um, I I think some of the work you do possibly touches a bit of a nerve with a lot of people in the community. Just broadly speaking, how do you find that? Yeah, it's not always um, the most popular topic to bring up at um, dinner party conversations. <laughs> um, While you're having a glass of wine. <laughs> exactly, yeah. People often question, oh, but you're drinking. Um, it's, you know, our relationship with alcohol in Australia um, would be is informed by many different aspects, but the alcohol industry pay, plays a huge part in our relationship with alcohol. Demand for alcohol doesn't happen organically. It happens because there's an industry that pushes its products on us. Um, you know, you know, you need to look at the marketing that we're surrounded by to see um, how the industry tells us we should be drinking, that alcohol belongs in every single part of our lives. Um, we see ads that tell us to drink at Christmas, at New Year's, raise a glass on Anzac Day, have a drink on Easter, have a drink after work, have a drink with the girls, with the guys. Um, that's We're surrounded by that and we grow up with that. Um, so really we probably shouldn't be surprised that some people have the relationship they do with alcohol in Australia because it's heavily promoted. Um, it's readily available. Bottle shops are open from 8am till 8pm, 10pm at night, um, not bars and clubs are open till midnight, 2am, 5am. Mm-hmm. And alcohol is, is um, can be purchased very cheaply. So we know cask wine, for example, is 15 cents, 25 cents a litre. Um, sorry, 25 cents a standard drink. And that's outrageously cheap. Um, mm. And it just, you know, combining that all together... We, yeah, I don't think we should be surprised that some people drink at what we watch the medical and health professionals call risky levels. Yeah, and it, I think I think that sometimes people miss the point about the work you guys do, in that you're not pointing the finger at individuals and saying don't be yeah. so bad. You know, you're actually taking a, a population level perspective and trying to get the message out there to help the greatest number of people and, and particularly the risky group that you that you refer to, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. So we we're not prohibition in any um at any point in time. We're not saying that alcohol as a product should be banned. We just um you know we say that it should be um marketed responsibly um Mm -hmm. also you know children shouldn't be exposed to alcohol promotions um all of the evidence-based policies we know work to reduce harm from alcohol are those population level ones so Mm -hmm. we would never um talk well we don't support targeted interventions as a silver bullet option which is often what the alcohol industry wants um the alcohol industry likes pointing to problem drinkers um, and people with alcohol issues, but that's that's not the only problem that we have. As a collective, um, many people are drinking at, at risky levels and it's about reducing um, the number of people drinking at those risky levels. Mm-hmm. 
Are there specific groups of people, I guess, in Australia that are more at risk of drinking heavily, particularly during a time like this where we are all socially isolated? I think everyone's probably at risk of drinking more <laughs> at a time like this. Um, yeah, I guess there, there are probably people that um, if they already have, um, if they're already drinking at high levels, sometimes being isolated, um, being put into forced quarantine, um, being in closer proximity to your fridge and your cupboard so it's easier access. Um, those are all things that can definitely increase the risk of um, drinking at higher levels. We know um, things like online deliveries of alcohol um, can be associated with um, certain issues like delivery to people that are already intoxicated, delivery to people underage because there's no um, or there's limited abilities to check IDs. I didn't even um, think of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the industry's pushing like contactless delivery at the moment um, mm-hmm. as a way of reducing your risk of getting COVID-19. Um, but, but all those 15-year-olds are like, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, no, if there's no one there to, to check your ID, then how do they know who they're delivering to really? Yeah. That's um, a really convenient policy, that isn't it? Yeah. For, for them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, we there's a new Alcohol Think Again campaign that's been launched. The WA State Government supported the launch of that a couple of weeks ago and that's really um, that's about providing tips to people to reduce your drinking during this time. So encouraging um, alcohol-free days, not stocking up so that you don't have a large amount of alcohol in the home. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really great. We're very fortunate in WA to have the Alcohol Think Again campaign and to have a state government that's um, recognised the potential for increased risk at the moment and um, is willing to, yeah, put some money behind an education campaign to help support yeah. the community. Uh, excellent. So we're, we're going to delve into some of the really interesting work that you've done uh, recently and also in the past. But before we get there, I was going to say you, you actually you actually are the president of the WA branch of the Public Health Association of Australia, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'm the yeah. president in a volunteer capacity. Yeah, yeah okay. So do, do you want to give people a bit of an overview of what that work involves and what the PHAA does generally? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, PHA is the easy the easy acronym for Public Health Association of Australia. So um, PHA is kind of recognised as the leading NGO for public health in Australia and it works to promote better health, um, better health and wellbeing for all Australians. So we seek um, better population health outcomes based on um, the principles of prevention, the social determinants of health and um, uh, health equity. So it's a member-based organisation and therefore represents um, the voice of many public health professionals across Australia. We have a national office based in Canberra. So our CEO is Terry Slevin. He's um, a former West Australian. And um, we have branches in every state and territory. So each um, state and territory branch has a committee that's um, made up of volunteer PHA members, really. So they just um, put their time and effort into supporting the association and advancing um, its objectives at a state and territory level. So I've been on PHA committee for 
four years now and have been in the president's role for two years. Mm-hmm. Time seems to go very quickly. <laughs> and uh, what, is there anything in particular that PHA has got going on at the moment? Yeah, so we, at a state level, we kind of have two main, what I see as main objectives. One is advocating for the health of West Australians and the other is building capacity of the WA public health workforce. So at um, from a building capacity perspective, we had a nice plan set out for 2020 and then had to pivot as everyone else has had to do. And so we've just developed... Um, what we're calling public health in practice in WA is short, um, short presentation webinar series um, that will highlight policy, practice, research, public health projects in WA. So that starts next week um, and we're putting it out, going to be putting the call out to PHA members if they'd like to host one of those. And that's just a way of providing professional development opportunities for PHA members um, in a way that um, abides by social distancing um, recommendations mm-hmm. and the fact that we're probably not going to be able to get into a room altogether anytime in the near future. Mm-hmm. And then our advocacy, um, last year we were really focused um, on gambling as a public health issue. Um, the WA government... Um, went through a tender process of selling the TAB, um, so privatising it, which we didn't have an issue with. It's kind of a bit odd for a state government to own a gambling um, organisation. It's, it's yeah. a bit weird <laughs> to be yeah. um, making money off um, gambling. So we didn't have a problem with the privatisation of TAB. What we did have a problem with was as part of the sale, they were going to allow the new operator to have um, simulated racing machines in TABs. So in WA, we're the only state that doesn't have pokies outside our casino, which I think everyone would agree is a very, very good thing. Oh, I love um, it. Whenever I go over east... I'm just always surprised at how many machines there mm-hmm. are whenever I go to a, a club or, or, sorry, a pub or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah. weird. <laughs> Definitely. And it means yeah. we've got, um, like, the lowest expenditure on gambling in Australia per capita um, because, like, 50% of gambling revenues from pokies at a national level. So there's a, there's a lot of concern about online gambling and um sports betting, particularly among young people, but pokies are still by far the um, form of gambling that causes the most harm in Australia. So when the state government announced that they were going to include these simulated racing machines, um, we were pretty unhappy about it. The social service um, sector, so the community service groups in WA were really unhappy about it. These, I don't know, have you guys heard of simulated racing machines? They're like computerised horse and dog races? Yeah. yeah I can I've, imagine them. You can see their little computerised horses running across yeah, the street. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I've seen them at the casino before. Yeah. You, you yeah, sit around they, them and, yeah. yeah, these horses run around and people are sitting there watching them and betting yes, on them. Yeah. Exactly. And so the government's line was that they're not pokies because there's a form guide so you can place your bet based on the form guide. <laughs> 
However, <laughs> the computer still chooses who wins. Like wow. <laughs> it's still a random a random winner. So you you can kind of pick it off the form guide, but the form guide really it doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. The computer still chooses who wins. So you press a button, the computer chooses who wins, which is pretty similar to a pokey machine, mm. really. Yeah. Um, and we and other groups see it as sort of the slippery slope. You open the door to one type mm. of machine. You've got a big for-profit industry who's now a lobby group in the state who can then slowly widen that door for other pokey-related products. Particularly because it means you could create a form guide for anything that you're betting on, really. If it's on a screen, you can be like, oh, red's better because of this. (laughs) And, yeah, Mm. so, yeah, just open the door for for a lot of things to be. Exactly. Yeah. And so we've got got pub TABs in WA, so these machines can then be put um, into those which are attached to places where families take their kids for lunch and things like that. So it's about that. Mm again, children's exposure to these machines, the normalisation of gambling, the potential increase of gambling-related harm because of the machines. I, um, I just am amazed that we need more events to gamble on because it feels like there's plenty already, you know, with there, phone apps and stuff. Have there you guys, really is. Have you guys seen what... Um, uh, I don't. I don't know. It's like some of the online, like sports bets and things like that. There was a, a bet going on about Scott Morrison's tie, <laughs> and you, <laughs> yeah, because they're they've run out of sports and things. Yeah. So, like, the, yeah, they're really expanding their their idea of gambling. <laughs> yeah, it's, with no sports, they're getting desperate. For yeah, yeah, people to bet on anything. Um, yeah. yeah, so we were really focused. Yeah, we were focused on that last year, trying mm. to um, prevent the inclusion of mm-hmm. um, those machines as part of the sale because because they were privatising a government structure. They had to pass new legislation and so mm-hmm. they included the provision of these sales in that legislation. So we tried up until um, the last minute to, to stop that and we had the Greens on our side um, we actually managed to get one nation on our mm. side of all groups. Good work. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it really just showed you can have support from places where you least expect it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we managed to get them on, on board. But um, ultimately it's about, it's a revenue stream for the government, the sale. Um, it's worth about $400 million and the inclusion of these machines was just a way of um, increasing the sale price, really. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a really interesting process to understand a bit more about um, how legislation passes through Parliament. Um, you know, the Labor Party, um, their caucus voted on it and then they all had to abide by party line if they mm. crossed the floor they were effectively in WA kicked out of the party mm-hmm. um, so it's sort of the end of their political career and I didn't I didn't appreciate that that that's how their system worked um, and so yeah that whole process was a really I think fascinating look mm. into um, politics and how law is made in WA some people might not think it's fascinating but um, particularly yeah. around public health as well because yeah. you're you're dealing with the the population's health so yeah. they're making mm. laws 
I wouldn't generalise it, but there would be some laws that kind of affect some population's health more so than others, and it's it's a money game. Yes, yeah, definitely. So, so just to just to interject there, Hannah, with, you were mentioning the political process there and, and how the Labor Party rules prevent members from crossing the floor, which is mm. different to the Liberal Party. Mm. So reading between the lines, is, does that mean in some private conversations you might have had with Labor members that they did support your position? Yes, that is exactly um, what happened. So we sent we sent letters um, in the weeks before that legislation was going to be going before um, the lower house to all members um, offering to meet with them and Mm -hmm. we actually got the most meetings with Labor members and so I went along to these meetings and in the first one um, it was a backbencher so, you know, um, they're probably more sympathetic to your um, views and particularly Mm -hmm. if they align with your views but they don't really have a huge say. I think Mm -hmm. everyone would agree that the Cabinet the ministers are probably the ones having yep. the major say. Um, so we went along to this backbencher and he pretty much said, oh, look, I, I sympathise, I agree with you, there's nothing I can do. It's already gone mm-hmm. through Labor caucus. There are a lot of us that are uncomfortable with it, but it's, it is what it is, it's happening. Um, so, I mean, I appreciated um, how honest he was about the mm-hmm. process and we appreciated that he gave up our time and it... it kind of fueled the idea that we really need to be putting a spotlight on this in the public because there are people that are uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. it. Um, And if you point out enough of those people, then maybe things things would change. Um, But in this instance, we didn't didn't win that one. Um, Mm -hmm. We definitely rained on their parade a little bit. <laughs> there was the treasurer mm-hmm. was not particularly happy with us um, mm-hmm. because we did, we, you know, we were able to get some media attention on it in partnership with Wacos and Anglicare. Um, and when you say it to the general community, no one wants pokies in WA. Like it's not yeah. a hard sell. Yeah. Um, no one. Yeah, like you said, you love going out in WA and not having those machines. We see all the awful stories from Mm -hmm. the Eastern Coast of how addictive they are and that they just destroy families and communities. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of letter writing and calls to um, MPs, officers, and, yeah, some people were not not that pleased, but probably because we were showing that they weren't really doing doing Mm -hmm. the right thing. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, the legislation passed. Mm. They're going ahead with the sale. You can't win them all. But um, I think it's important to still highlight to the government that people are watching what they're doing and they can't mm. just sort of get these things through. Yeah, and it provides an opportunity to see what the what the implications of that are going forward. You know, Definitely. What the evidence says. So, yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. Well, It might be time to move on to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the alcohol-related work you've done. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the the bits of work that I I had a look at in your resume, your online resume, (laughs) uh, was the uh, work you did looking at the regulation of alcohol marketing in Australia and the the self-regulation that goes on. Do do you want to tell listeners a bit more about that? Yeah. Yep. So alcohol marketing regulation is one of my core focuses and has been um, for a number of years now. Um, 
So when it comes to reducing alkylated harm, there's a couple of what um, the World Health Organization calls the best buys. Um, so they're related to price, availability and promotion. So the WHO recommends having statutory controls on the um, content, volume and placement of alcohol marketing within a comprehensive approach. Um, and those controls are about reducing um, children and young people's exposure to alcohol marketing. Mm -hmm. The research shows that um, exposure to alcohol marketing or children's exposure to alcohol marketing does impact on their drinking behaviours and attitudes. Um, and re really recently in January, um, some academics um, did a whole bunch of systematic reviews and they've established that there is a causal relationship between um, children's exposure and their risky drinking behaviours. Mm -hmm. So the evidence is... Very, very clear. Um, independent controls are what's recommended. What we have in Australia is a system of self-regulation of alcohol marketing. So it's largely, marketing is largely regulated by the advertising and alcohol industries. Um, we're not alone in having that system like that. There are many, most countries around the world self-regulate. Um, Junk food is also another industry whose marketing is self-regulated. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, no evidence to show that it's effective um, in reducing exposure of marketing, like vulnerable populations' exposure to marketing. Mm -hmm. um, industry loves self-regulation because they get to develop their own codes and do what they want. <laughs> um, yep. But, yeah, there's decades of evidence now that shows that it is ineffective, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our focuses and, you know, many health groups around Australia also do the same is about drawing attention to the ineffectiveness of self-regulation and calling for more um, mm -hmm. stronger, stricter, independent controls. Okay. So as part of your work, uh, the Advertising Standards Bureau and the Alcohol Beverages Advertising Code with, were things that came up. Do you want to mm -hmm. explain what those are a little bit more and how they fit into this? Yeah, so the Advertising Standards Bureau is now called Ad Standards. And so that's um, Ad Standards is the sort of centrepiece where people, centrepiece of the self regulatory system. Um, it was established by the Australian Association of National Advertisers. So the advertising. Um, uh, representative, the group representing advertisers in Australia, um, you people can submit complaints to Ad Standards. So their their role is about being um, an administrative body for complaints about irresponsible advertising. They administer a number of different codes related to advertising. So a code of ethics that covers all advertising from cars to alcohol to junk food to gambling to any any product that advertises. Um, they administer a code of ethics related to that. They also have some junk food marketing codes. And then there's also the alcohol beverages advertising code or ABAC. And so ABAC is the alcohol um, sort of system of self-regulation. They um, ABAC is funded and by the alcohol industry. So the three major industry groups that represent the brewers, the winemakers and the distilled spirits groups fund ABAC. Those three groups um, are also the directors of the scheme. So the CEOs of those groups are the directors of the scheme. And um, 
their reps also sit on the management committee alongside an advertising rep and someone from the Australian Government Department of Health. Um, so it, it, there's a whole bunch of different codes and schemes in Australia related to self-regulation of advertising, but mm-hmm. ABAC is the main one um, related mm-hmm. to alcohol, basically. Okay. So it sounds like the industry might outnumber health professionals on that in that body. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yes, you could okay. say that. So unfortunately, the Australian government does rely on self-regulation and so they do have a rep that sits on the management committee. But as you mm-hmm. said, they're vastly outnumbered by industry groups. There's mm-hmm. really little transparency in the system and so it's hard to know how much of a say the government has, what that what their role even is. Like are they just kind of sitting there to show that there's government buy-in and the industry can say, see, the government supports what we're doing. Look, they sit alongside us. Um, it's it's impossible for us mm-hmm. to know that because yep. um ABAC's not a government body, you can't FOY it. Um mm-hmm. so there's really no way of us yeah. knowing. That's convenient. And it unless is. someone wants to blow the whistle, I guess. Oh, yeah, wouldn't it, that be great? <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. for the the listeners at home throughout that whole 2 minutes or so, I had a very confused look on my face, mainly because it's this whole system's almost reminding me of what smoking used to be like in that it was mm. self-regulated, there was lots of advertisements about how great it was and the people on the inside who knew it was bad couldn't really say anything because they were just mm. outnumbered. Um, very interesting parallel. It's almost as if this alcohol <laughs> is kind of the, the smoking of the current time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels. Um, mm. So how this operates then, I, I believe there are, there are five main rules that govern how alcohol is advertised. Is that right? So there's five main rules that govern how um, the placement of alcohol advertising is um, regulated. And so the ABAC up until 2017 only regulated the content of alcohol marketing. So they didn't touch placement. And really, from my position, placement is, if you're talking about children's exposure, placement is the real issue. If Mm -hmm. kids aren't seeing it, then it kind of doesn't matter as much what the content is because you're not appealing to children and teenagers. You're just appealing to your, you know, um, market that's able to legally purchase alcohol. So they they decided that they'd only do content and that was a huge flaw that had been pointed out for years and years. So ABAC was established in 1998. Since then, up and there has been a number of government reviews and inquiries that has reviewed ABAC and said it's not working, it's not doing what it should be doing from a public health perspective. Maybe it's doing what the industry wants it to do, but it's not meeting public health objectives. Um, So we and a number of groups continuously pointed out the problems related to placement. Um, Up until 2017, the only rules around the placement of alcohol ads was the television industry code of practice which said that alcohol ads can't be played during children's popular viewing times except there was an exception it was allowed during sport on weekends Mm -hmm. and public holidays 
Because apparently kids don't watch sport. Apparently it's... <laughs> no, of course not. That's an adult-only activity. Yeah, exactly. Um, do, you th- do you think, just quickly, do you think that the sporting codes had a, had a say in that? Because obviously they get quite vast sponsorship from alcohol, don't yes. they? Yes, I think the sporting codes have a huge amount to say in that. And then mm. the um, commercial TV channels also have a huge amount of say in that because that's where their revenue comes from. So there's a few different industries that um, have a have an interest in that one. Um, and a couple of years ago, the television industry code of practice was reviewed and there were many groups like outside of alcohol policy, um, children's groups as well, that said that this was a huge loophole that needed to be closed. And as it was the TV code, um, TV industry body that was doing the review, unfortunately, it, it wasn't closed despite... It wasn't a priority for them. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Mm. Um, mm. And so kids continue to see alcohol ads during sport um, on weekends. I mean, it's not a problem at the moment, but um, mm. I've heard that AFL is coming back on the 11th of June, so um, it'll be a problem once again soon. And it will be exclusively on television because people yes. won't be able to go to the games. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one rule around placement and the other was an outdoor media association, which is another advertising industry body, who said that um, alcohol ads couldn't be placed within 150 metres of a school gate um, because kids, again, only travel within 150 <laughs> metres of their school. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, they man. don't. You know, they don't hop on the bus with the alcohol out on the side on the bus stops and right. they don't drive in cars apparently. Um, and, again, there was, you know, numerous um, issues with the implementation of that rule anyway. We've had heaps of examples where that rule has been breached but because it's a self-regulatory code, there's no sanctions or penalties. It's just a bit of a, oops, human error, we'll take that down. Um, mm-hmm. Right, so, so are there really no, no penalties for, for breaking any of these rules? Like, no, there's not. Cause then what's the yeah. point in even having them if oh. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, one of the key aspects of an effective regulatory system, if you're regulating anything, is having appropriate penalties in place to deter people from breaking the rules. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that applies to literally everything in life. You need to have penalties associated with them. Otherwise, people don't necessarily abide by them. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's a huge problem that we have, that there's no no sanctions. Um, so back up to the placement. In 2017, ABAC announced that they were going to, they'd been listening to community and they'd been listening to concerns and they were going to introduce these five placement rules. Um, they... There was no public consultation about this. They just decided, they just announced what the rules would be. Um, and they were pretty much said that companies, the first one that companies have to abide by existing rules, which kind of is a bit of a nothing rule mm-hmm. really, saying that you have to abide by existing laws and codes doesn't But there's really no penalty. There's no, no penalty if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just have to you just have to abide by them, the ones that already yep. are there. Um, the second one is if um, if a media platform can have age restriction controls advoca- um, activated, like um, Instagram and Facebook can have age gating. Mm-hmm. If they're available, then companies should use them to stop minors from accessing it. Um, if there's no age restriction controls, then ads should only be placed where the audience is um, seventy five percent 
adult or more. Um, ads can only be placed with programs or content that um, is not primarily targeted at minors and ads can't be, or emails can't be sent to people under the age of 18 with alcohol ads in it. So they're the, they're, they're the five rules. Um, and so we, after six months of these rules being implemented, our team did um, what we called a critical review of the rules. So we looked at all the determinations that they'd been put out um, about ads that were considered in breach of them and looked at how they were implementing them um, and if they were effective if they were effective in reducing children and young people's exposure to alcohol marketing. Um, yeah, it's probably no surprise what we found, given what I've said <laughs> about <laughs> our, about self-regulation. Yeah. Um, so And so you've, you found that they weren't really effective? They No, we found that they didn't add anything to okay. the current system. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we already said the first rule says you've got to just abide by existing codes and Mm -hmm. laws so you're not really adding anything there um age restriction controls um some of the determinations that came out showed that some companies weren't using them and the problem with ABAC is there's no monitoring so there's they don't have a monitoring system that looks at what companies are doing they're purely complaints Mm -hmm. um complaints focus so issues only arise when someone from the public makes a complaint about it so they have no idea what companies are doing um which is how do you know if people are biting by your rules if you're not out there yeah i i sometimes scratch my head if i'm looking to go to a winery or something and i get a pop-up saying please tick this box to confirm that you're over 18 And and i think so what if I was under 18 and I tick the box? What's yeah, going to happen? Can, exactly. You can either tick the box and even if you do tick the box saying no and they don't let you, often you can just refresh, tick yes, and then you're provided yeah. access. Um, <laughs> you know, social media, like you can sign up. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to say you're over 18, but anyone can say whatever age they want on social media. Mm. There's no checks. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of examples where companies had activated age restrictions controls, but errors had happened, and so 15-year-olds were still being sent alcohol ads by mistake. Um, so there's mm. a whole whole bunch of issues with relying on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the 75% adult audience, in Australia, only 22% of the audience is, or 22% of the population is under at the age of 18. So if you have a program that has broad appeal, you're never going to reach 25% mm. of kids. Uh, or sorry, you're never going to have a 75%, um, uh, like That's under 75% okay. of adult, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, like yeah. we know that the kids that are, the programs that are most popular with kids are things like MasterChef, Australian Ninja Warrior, The mm. Voice, The Block, um, programs that are also popular with parents and adults. So I think it's some the most popular show in 2017 was Australian Ninja Warrior and that had almost half a million people under the age of 18 watching it. So that's 500,000 kids, but it still only had, it still had less than 25% mm. of child audience because yep. the, the makeup of our population um, makes it so that there's less than 25%. So 
that rule in itself is really weak when any mm. program that has broad appeal is never going to have that child audience. And I feel, yeah. I feel like a lot of the time with those kind of shows as well, kids will be watching it with their parents. So yeah. that automatically counteracts that that percentage of viewage because yeah. you, you view it as a family, so you're going to have a mix of adults and kids anyway. Yeah, mm. and the alcohol industry thinks that's fine. Like they often say, oh, well, kids that are watching sport on the weekend are watching with their parents, and it's like, what does that, how does that That have has anything? nothing to do with exposure. No. <laughs> no, they're still seeing these ads. I don't really see how parents being there negates, negates the advertising that they're seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, now, <laughs> Hannah, I do have a question for you. So if obviously these, these new placement rules are not quite working the way that maybe they should, what would you do to change them? So what placement rules would you implement to uh, decrease the exposure for kids? So what, what we've said before is... You're, it's much better to have a system that tells advertisers what they can do rather than what they can't do because you can find a whole bunch of loopholes and workarounds. Um, so what we would want to see was we'd, we'd want to see a system that's independent of the alcohol industry, um, is legislated and has proper sanctions related to breaches. And what would probably be effective is yeah, having a system that tells you what you're allowed to do and what rather than what you can't. So um, in France, alcohol advertising was effectively banned in a way and they had a set of rules around what companies were allowed to do and what their ads could look like. And it just makes it a much narrower and clearer way, like way of um, regulating. And so we would want alcohol um, taken from time, um, taken out of locations and at times where young people would be exposed. So um, removing alcohol ads from times on TV, um, public places with large um, exposure, so your bus, your public transport, big billboards, things like that. Um, yeah, really it's about reducing children's exposure. So having to think about where kids go and what they see um, and removing alcohol marketing from those big events and sponsorship is the other one sorry so um at the moment there's no rules around alcohol sponsorship of sporting Mm -hmm. or cultural events in australia um obviously kids are seeing their favorite sports stars run onto the field with alcohol ads across their chest or on the sides of the oval um so we really want to see that removed as well Mm. yeah interesting i will be interested to see how that conversation progresses and and who actually ends up driving the change because you know, like we said, the sporting codes are pretty reliant on alcohol sponsorship. So it'd be interesting to see if they take a stand. I know, I know basketball has been a bit of a leader in, in public health in terms of trying to get yeah. rid of certain types of advertising. Yeah, we had um, the Wildcats in WA um, were sponsored by Alcohol Think Again. So mm. um, the public education campaign. And um, when Nick Marvin was the CEO, he took a stand and said they wouldn't be taking alcohol um, alcohol sponsorship because mm-hmm. of the role models that these sports stars are and, um, you know, there is a responsibility that comes with playing a sport at an elite level, I think, if there's a lot of kids watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that should be, you know, setting um, good examples and not mm-hmm. promoting unhealthy products. And I think particularly yeah. in Australia, like, 
we we've said earlier that alcohol is this big culture thing but for us as well sports is a huge part of our culture which is why a lot of us now don't know what to do on the weekend because we don't have sports to watch Mm. um having them kind of married together does send those confusing messages particularly to children yeah and it's a similar argument um in the gambling and the junk food space Mm. as well Mm -hmm. because the big companies are the ones with a lot of money that can, you know, spend $8 million on a year's sponsorship, five-year sponsorship for the Australian cricket team. Um, but maybe it's about sporting company, um, sporting codes being a bit more inventive and rather than going for the one $8 million sponsorship, you go for six smaller sponsorships from smaller companies that have a, you know, more um, socially responsible impact. Yeah. And so on that note, uh, some very recent work, in fact, something that just got released this week was a snapshot report that I believe you guys did at the Cancer Council looking at alcohol marketing during the the COVID-19 restrictions that a lot of people have been living under. Um, Yes. Very pragmatic bit of work where you've been fairly, um, yeah, sort of tech savvy, I guess, to... Uh, for want of a better phrase. Um, So do you want to talk us through what you were aiming to do with this and how you did it? Mm -hmm. Well, there's been quite a bit of um, attention on alcohol use during COVID-19. We know that, um, you know, some evidence from banks and things, or not evidence, but the data from banks shows that there's been um, an increase in alcohol sales, um, particularly in the first few weeks of what I guess we had of lockdown, so our the restrictions that were put in place on our movements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, spending in bars and clubs was obviously down a lot because they closed, but there was um, a huge increase in sales in bottle shops. So there was actually a 34% increase in sales in the last week of March compared to the year previously, um, even though we've had our on-premise um, on-premise locations closed, people were buying more in bottle shops, so mm-hmm. we still had increased alcohol sales. Then um, the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education in Canberra did a um, you know, a poll, a survey of Australians and um, found that one in five households were purchasing more alcohol now. And um, of those one in five, 70% of them reported drinking more alcohol than they had previously and um, a number of them were concerned about either their own drinking or the drinking of others in their homes. So we've seen we've seen little bits of data um, that show we should be concerned about alcohol mm-hmm. use. And then we also saw the alcohol industry um, kind of pivot their marketing as to be expected um, to reflect our current our current times. So we were seeing ads for things like ISO six packs and um, <laughs> you know drinking drinking in lockdown memes. Um, one liquor retailer in WA had a meme that was related to stocking up your wine like you would your toilet paper after the ridiculous debacle we had <laughs> in Australia about people buying too much toilet paper. Um, so. You know, there are lots of researchers, not just in alcohol policy, I think in public health more broadly, that are quickly figuring out how they're going to um, look at the changes in our lifestyle, whether that's mm-hmm. 
eating, physical activity, um, our built environment. And so there's definitely some excellent researchers um, in alcohol policy that are looking at this um, systematically. What we have done is really a snap, providing a snapshot, a quick snapshot that looks at right now what's happening. And so an employee at Cancer Council was on their um, Facebook and Instagram one Friday night and started screenshotting the alcohol ads that they saw and then just kept going for an hour. And after an hour, they'd received 107 sponsored alcohol ads in the space of, yeah, 64 minutes, um, mm-hmm. which it roughly equates to 35, um, an alcohol ad every 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, this is a nice little sample of alcohol ads now that we can look at the themes um, that the industry um, are using to market their products during this time. Um, so we did a really quick thematic analysis of this sample of ads and found um, six key marketing messages or strategies that are quite problematic when it comes to promoting alcohol use. So um, the industry um, is telling us that it's never been easier to get alcohol. So you can have easy access to alcohol even when you don't have to leave your house. Mm-hmm. Um you can save like save money, lots of discounts and giveaways, buy more, so lots of promotions for bulk purchases, um, drink alcohol during COVID, um, so de- explicit references to COVID-19, isolation, lockdown, um, drink alcohol to help you cope or survive That's my the favorite. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> You know, lots, you know, do you need more wine to get you through this? Um, those kind of messages. Mm-hmm. And then also the sixth one was choose healthier or what supposedly healthier alcohol. So natural, <laughs> organic, um, mm. vegan, the what we call um, sort of health washing alcohol products to make them seem healthier. But really when it comes to alcohol, it's, the alcohol itself that causes the harm mm. to health. Um, yeah. Picking something sugar-free doesn't negate the fact that, <laughs> that you know, particularly when it comes to cancer, it's um, mm. the alcohol that is related um, mm. to the health problems. So, yeah, these they're they're definitely concerning because a lot of those um, marketing messages are what we know. Um, promote the sort of risk factors for a harmful drinking. So things like buying more, drinking alcohol to cope, um, drinking at home or drinking alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and was there any uh, pattern about who these ads were targeted at? Was there a particular age group or demographic that, that they seemed to be targeted at? No. So this was, this was only one person's um, experience. And so we made that, we made that really clear and that's why we've kind of called it a snapshot really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, obviously digital marketing is highly, highly targeted. Um, Mm -hmm. If you search alcohol, Dan Murphy's cocktail recipe, um, you're going to be inundated with Mm -hmm. alcohol ads. Um, I think we've, we've all had that experience. Like you search for a, top that you want to buy at Zara and then next minute 
it's, it's all like working out. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. That's what targeted marketing does. But um, with alcohol, targeting marketing um, has been identified as a, a huge problem for people with um, alcohol dependency. Um, so if you're um, recovering from dependence issues and you're suddenly being targeted with all these ads it makes it really really difficult and um we released this report um alongside foundation for alcohol research and education and also um shanna Wan, who started a um charity called sober in the country so she um is someone who's recovered from alcohol dependence and she lives regionally and um realise that there's really no sort of services or support out in the bush for people mm-hmm. with alcohol um, who, are, you know, identifies having problems with alcohol. And she started this charity to fill that gap. Um, and, you know, she's been really vocal that the marketing she's seen during this time really scares her because um, she knows what it's like to have um, a dependence on alcohol and being sort of bombarded with constant ads telling you to drink and to drink to survive um it's it can be really damaging and Mm. um just sort of fuel people's um harmful and risky drinking really yeah Um, so alcohol is is really embedded in this the culture of people a lot of people in the country anyway um, yeah. because they have limited entertainment options so i can imagine this sort of thing would be yeah, increase the risks even more. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what that's what her charity is about. It um, provides an online sort of peer-to-peer support service for people who are choosing to reduce their drinking or to choosing to not drink, so that they know that they're not alone. There are other people out there that um, mm. are making that choice and trying to normalise um, not drinking heavily. And pretty much, do you think this is a, a reflection of the fact that advertisements are self-regulated? Yeah, definitely. So we've um, we've started making some complaints to ABAC about some of this advertising um, to see what they say about it um, and where that's definitely going to be sort of the next stage of our research is looking at how the system copes and um, what we would want to see from them, what we think they should be doing. Um, but really, when you've got a system that pretty much they self-govern themselves, they're allowed to kind of do what they want and even um the ones if they do get upheld well what's you know what they take it down yeah (laughs) Yeah. they take (laughs) it down after it's been on social media for three weeks and everyone's already seen it and they've already Um, taken the screenshots and sent it to their friends exactly yeah Yeah. i mean it's all i mean it's all the funny memes that get shared a lot like we all know Mm. that um but that doesn't that doesn't make it right really um wow and social media is just such a, a murky world anyway because i mean obviously tobacco advertising has reared its head in um unexpected ways um, yeah with people getting sponsored to kind of product place certain products without actually saying let's go and smoke but it's clear that you know they're yeah. promoting smoking for example so i mean i don't, I don't know if you can, if that can get through how yeah how are we going to stop alcohol Exactly. Platform. Yeah. I feel yes. like I feel like there's a potential here though, because like the the snapshot that you've given provides really nice data 
on the change of advertisements due to current situations. And you can, like, when I was reading it, it's really clear to me what the issues are. And you can see the the thought, thought process that these alcohol-driven companies have gone through. Um, I reckon, like, some more research on this, there could be a really good policy argument to make it not self-regulated. So mm. I, yeah. I don't know. It could be really interesting. Yeah, so that, that always drives all the research we do is pointing out um, the issues with self-regulation and the need for stronger regulation. There's um, some excellent researchers in this space who um, specialise in the, you know, social media, digital marketing world, there is so much that I do not understand about <laughs> these online platforms. Um, you know, Facebook and Google and I, there's, I think, a huge lack of transparency with those massive um massive online companies. And I mean, ACCC has done their digital platforms inquiry. And um, we, um, health groups, um, have engaged in that process and one of the um, recommendations that came out from that was having a platform-neutral regulatory system for advertising. So I think that's a really, really good opportunity for health groups in Australia to, um, you know, make sure that that recommenda- recommendation is followed through and that this platform-neutral system um, sets a high bar. So we don't want it to be mm-hmm. like setting the bar down here with the lowest regulation we currently have. We need to be bringing all of the platforms up to um, up into really strong regulation. So that'll be that'll be a great opportunity for us. And yeah, there's some mm-hmm. excellent researchers in this space who are doing a really systematic look at the marketing at the moment during COVID. Um, mm. So but yeah, ours is, ours is a nice snapshot um, that we could get out quickly, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what the other researchers do um, in a more yeah. systematic systematic way. Yeah, I, th- I think the most important tool that public health and alcohol in particular researchers and advocates have uh, in their arsenal is education and um, awareness. And I think a lot of those messages are getting through. If you look at the younger age groups are drinking a lot less yeah. than younger age groups have in the past. Yeah. Um, so clearly, you know, there it's not been a fruitless exercise, even though, you know, you've come up against some challenges and it's been frustrating at times. So I think the messages are getting through and, and the more easily accessible, good quality information is made available to, to people as they're growing up. I think they will hopefully make better choices, you know, more, more informed choices. Yeah, and we've seen some state and territory governments take action on alcohol advertising in the past couple of years. So in WA, the Labor government um, removed alcohol advertising from public transport vehicles so we don't have it on our buses or trains anymore. Um, Queensland is going to be doing a similar process soon. Um, South Australia removed some alcohol ads from their public transport. So there's there's been some traction at a state and territory level on um, controlling advertising on the assets that they own and manage, mm-hmm. but we just need the federal government to to get mm-hmm. on board and do some reform of the regulatory system at a federal level. Yeah, well, that's probably something for the post-COVID world, I'd say. I think so. <laughs> I think yeah. everyone's just trying to survive at this point. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're probably close to the end of our conversation here, Hannah. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we finish up? Um, no, I think we've probably covered off everything that 
I was yeah. hoping to say. I'm sure we'll finish and I think, why did I not say? Why did I not include that? But, Always the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what's just, just to finish on, what, what have you got planned next? Um, as in personally or work? What, yeah, like, yeah well, like professionally. I mean, you can share personal plans if you want, but I'll <laughs> no. speak <more> professionally. <laughs> um, professionally, well, you know, we've just start, our team's just started at Cancer Council, so I'm really excited to see how, um, you know, that goes. We've got some great opportunities to work with amazing people there. Um, their obesity prevention team, the Make Smoking History team are all excellent so it's it's exciting for us to be able to collaborate with um mm. those teams more closely so yeah really it's i'll probably be um just staying at cancer council for a little while and mm-hmm. um i think this is i've got another year as pha president next year but um i'm working on my succession plan at the moment to identify mm-hmm. the next volunteer person who'd like to take on that role um mm-hmm. that's been an amazing opportunity i get to meet so many great people and um get experience outside alcohol policy which has been really good professionally so mm. just oh, i'm also studying i'm doing a master's of health law so i'm going to finish that this year nice. that's my goal okay. <laughs> <laughs> i will graduate finally after five years <laughs> oh, yes. no excellent yeah, well, yeah. thanks very much for your time today, Yeah, Hannah. thank it's you. It's been excellent chatting with you. Fabulous conversation. <laughs> thank you, thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and we, we look forward to seeing what comes out next. Yeah, and I look forward to continuing along with the um, podcast series now that I'm on board with podcasts. Yay. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. All well, right. Thanks thank very you. much, everyone. Thank you. That was our conversation with Hannah Pierce. As always, we love hearing your feedback and any suggestions you may have for topics you would like to hear covered. You can email us at meaningofhealth@outlook.com or tweet us at healthmeanswhat. Stay safe and we look forward to bringing you another episode soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming. Craig Cumming.